Today we are blessed with a guest speaker, Kurt uh, Beeson. Uh, Kurt was born and raised in the South Bay. Against all odds, he made two great decisions in, the early, in his early 20s. He began to follow Jesus and he married his wife, Lori. God has given them 32 years of marriage and has produced five amazing children. Kurt left the business world in 1994 to go into full-time pastoral ministry. And he's been a youth pastor, a family pastor, and he now serves as the senior pastor at the Rock Covenant Church in Manhattan Beach. Kurt enjoys family time, surfing, stand-up paddling, and golf with his friends in his spare time. No further delay. Kurt. Thank you. Well, thank you for uh, having me today. Actually, you guys didn't really choose me. It was, it was someone else. But um, it, it's good to be here. Uh, like, um, like I was introduced, I'm at the Rock Covenant Church. And there's a, there's a handful of covenant churches here in the area and, of course, nationally and internationally. And uh, we consider ourselves, right, brothers and sisters, churches, peoples, stuff like that. Uh, sometimes in families... You love some brothers and sisters a little more, <laughs> and, and you guys here at Life are awesome. Um, I'm good friends with, with Tim and Doug and Cameron, and I uh, love being here, so, so thank you for inviting me. Uh, as, as I came, Tim said you guys are in a series on the parables, and he said preach on a parable or just choose something to preach on, which uh, is super dangerous when you're inviting a pastor to church, but it's also, I believe, super good because I get to preach on something that God's been putting on my heart and I've been thinking a lot about and, and I've been meditating and, and things like that. And today, um, I'm going to preach on just the simple concept, but deeply profound concept of how human beings can be right with God. Isn't that amazing? Just being right with him. But we're good. We're being right with God. And, and that's what I'm going to do today. And I, I've made this connection over the past months or whatever, just in my mind, and, and I'm going to share it with you, of something that's super common to all of us and something that's deeply profound and theological to all of us. There's a connection. Here's the common thing. The common thing that we do all the time is we make sure in different circumstances that we're relationally okay with people. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, like when things get out of whack, that we can come back and say, are, are we okay? And, and I thought the lowest common denominator, I was kind of thinking like, when, when does it happen in, in different circumstances? Is it, has anybody played pickup basketball in your life? Are, are you into that sort of thing? Okay, we have two, so that's going to be really relatable to everybody. I, I, I used to play pickup basketball no more. Like, that's long in my past. And when you're out playing basketball with, with a bunch of people that are not that great at basketball, but really into it, you know what I mean? Like, like you get these pickup games. And I remember you'd go and someone would, would just, like, foul me really hard. And it's a total bummer because I'm out there for fun and, and I don't want to be hurt. And, you, know, you know what I mean? And you kind of you know, get all puffed up for a second and you know, you're in each other's face. And, and then you know, it, it comes out finally because like, no one really wants to fight in those games, right? And it comes out where it's like, hey, man, are, are we good, bro? 
and it kind of comes out just as aggressively as the foul. <laughs> like, do you know what I'm saying? And, and I'm thinking that's like the lowest common way to say, are we okay relationally with one another? Like, like another form of that, I, I raised five kids, and some of you guys have kids here or no kids. Um, when, when a brother and sister get in a fight, you, you know when that happens? And then mom and dad say, okay, apologize to one another. And they have no interest in apologizing to each other. Have you been there? And like one child will say, you know, like with gritted teeth, like, I'm sorry. Like, like that's a little, really low form of being relationally okay with one another. But you know what I mean. Maybe a next level up might be when maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a spouse, where something's not right. And you're like, like walking around the house and you're a little bit kind of brooding and just not, you know, like you, you kind of tensely walk by each other in the hallway and you don't want to make eye, like something's wrong. And then finally, one or both has a, a softness of heart enough to just say, are, are we okay with one another? And it's kind of the, the breakthrough of trying to work something out. Like that's, that's a, a little higher level than the basketball guys, isn't it? Like, like it, it, it's a little higher. I've observed with humans, whether it's on the basketball court or whether it's in a family or whether it's with a spouse, that we can get to the place of being re- relationally okay with one another. I, I really believe that. Of course we can. But it can be complicated, can't it? It, it, it can be um, complicated in a way where there's usually some lingering stuff after conflict. Do you know what I mean? Like even when we get right with our spouse, there's maybe a little bit of lingering like upsetness, if, the, if that's a word. Is that a word you use here at Life? Um, on the basketball court, I'm 100% that there's no relational like sort of, you know, uh, uh, reconciliation. <laughs> like like it's, it's messy in humans. It's hard for us to do it. So in that common form of relationally being okay with one another, it's not perfect. It can be good, but it's not perfect. So that's one area, the common. How about the theologically deep and profound concept of this? As human beings, we can actually be right with God himself. I mean, think about that. We, we, as sinners, can be okay, and not just okay, but perfectly right with a holy God. When you think about that, the stakes are a lot higher, aren't they? Like, I could care less about that guy in the basketball court. I care a lot more about my family. But the stakes are a little lower than talking about eternal life. Like, like talking about my relationship and rightness with God. Like we've seen as human beings, we can say we're good, but there's lingering stuff. It's never going to be perfect. But in a divine relationship, to be right with God, it has to be perfect. Perfect. We have to be fully good and right. Because the standard in that relationship is a perfect, holy God. Right? 
It has to be perfect for us to be right. The good news of the gospel tells us it can happen in Jesus. That's why we're here. It can happen in Jesus because Jesus has perfect righteousness that he gives to us, right? That, that's a theological concept of the gospel, that we are seen by God as righteous because Jesus gives us his righteousness. Right, rightness with God is perfect because Jesus is perfect. You follow, right? So, so in human relationships, it's not perfect. There's lingering stuff. But with our relationship with God, we're right with him, so there's no lingering sadness or hurt or question marks. We're simply right with God. These are the things I, I've been thinking about. And it's not like, like I didn't know this before. You know, it, it's not like we didn't study this in seminary. It's not like I haven't talked to it with my church. It's just that when you really sit back and reflect on it and meditate on it, it's so deeply profound. So, so I'm going to talk about a couple verses in Romans tonight about this kind of righteousness, this kind of rightness with God. Did I say tonight? Like, yeah, that, you know what? I, I, forgive me. I, I preached in a church for years where we met in the morning like you guys, like normal people, right? And then at the Rock, we meet in the evenings. So, for years, and I mean two full years, I'd get up before the church every single Sunday and, you know, wish them a good, good morning, right? And they'd laugh and chuckle and, you know, think, like, who have we hired, right? So, so that's hilarious, and, I, I, you know, and I've gotten over it. You know, I understand it's not morning at 5 o'clock in the evening. I, I get that. But clear, I, I guess I don't understand that it's not evening at 10 o'clock in the morning, but, but here I am. <laughs> so, rightness with God is the message of the New Testament. It's the message of the Gospels. It's the message of the Book of Romans, where I'm going to be preaching at it today. Righteousness in the Book of Romans alone appears 30 times. Like, like it's important in the message of Romans. So, I, I want to talk about Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 today. Before I read it, though, I think it's important to understand what righteousness was in the Old Testament. Like, like, how did God talk about righteousness in the Old Testament if now the Apostle Paul writing in Romans, talking about Jesus, talks about it 30 times? Here's how we understand righteousness in the Old Testament. Three different ways. The first is this. Righteousness as an attribute of God. Like, what God is like. And the answer is, God is righteous. He's absolutely just. He's fair. He's impartial. He's perfect. He's righteous. So Psalm 56 says this about this character and attribute of God. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. What it's saying is there's no higher standard of judgment than God's righteousness because it's perfect. So, so God is perfect. God is righteous in the Old Testament. The second way is righteousness as God himself in a relationship with human beings. 
A lot of the ways it's described in the Old Testament is God keeps his promises. That's the kind of relationship we have with God. God keeps his promises with us. In Psalm 31.1, the psalmist says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. It's a promise. We depend on it from God as a righteous promise. And the third way in the Old Testament, it's righteousness in God's saving activity toward human beings. God acts on behalf of his people. He saves them from trouble. Listen to what God does in Psalm 51, starting in verse 7. I'm just going to jump around at a few, a few verses. I want you to listen to the verbs of how God interacts with human beings. In verse 7, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. So in the Old Testament here, God's righteousness is the equivalent to salvation. God has done something for us. He's done something for us on our behalf. He saves us. A problem in understanding righteousness in the Old and New Testament is we don't have an English word that's equivalent to what the meanings are in the Old and New Testament. We have to explain it a lot, like I just did, right? So we can't just say, God is righteous in English and understand everything about God's righteousness. You follow me? So we have to understand what's going on here in Romans. And Paul's audience in Romans, they understood it better than us because they had better language to understand it in the Greek. Okay? So here we are. We're approaching this passage as English speakers, and we just see this word righteous or righteousness. And we need to take time to understand it, to truly understand what it means to be right with God. So we understand it in the Old Testament. How do we understand it in the New? Verse 16 and 17 says the righteousness of God is revealed to us. So let me read Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So if we're Paul's audience to this verse, talking about righteousness and what it means, we think back to the three ways we talked about righteousness in the Old Testament. Okay? So our questions here are, because it's a little bit disputed, of which kind of righteousness is Paul talking about here in verse 17? So we ask the question, is it a righteousness here that talks about an attribute of God? Or is it a righteousness here that talks about God's relationship with me as a promise keeper? Or is the righteousness here God's saving activity toward me, toward us. And believe it or not, this is something that theologians wrestle with. They want to understand 
what kind of righteousness this is. I think there's two correct answers here of what kind of righteousness it is in verse 17. The first answer is this. It's all of the above. <laughs> it, it's all of them in this verse. Okay, I, I, I believe it, 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 it's all about the attributes of God. God is holy. It's about God's promises to us and it's about God saving us. All wrapped into one. John Stott says this. For myself, I've never been able to see why we have to choose and why all three should not be combined. Whenever we talk about the righteousness of God in the New Testament, we can have all three of those in mind and we rejoice. Okay? But there's a second answer. And the second answer is this. There's an emphasis in Romans, when we take this verse in context, there's an emphasis in Romans on God's saving activity. It's clear. It's about God saving people from trouble. It's about God rescuing people from danger. There's a better way to translate a word in this verse that's going to be helpful for us to understand this about God's saving activity. In, in verse 17, and I think it's in most translations, if it's not in yours, you can correct me later. <laughs> for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That little word of can be translated differently. It can be, and I think should be, translated from. It's a righteousness from God. God's doing something for us. Something's coming from God to us. We receive something. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. If we were to go out to lunch afterwards, okay, maybe, maybe you guys get some lunch after church, and um, I said, you know what, I'm going to buy some lunch. And we get to the, the pizza place, and, and I have a pizza in front of me. And I said, you know what, this pizza, this is, this is of me. <laughs> How would you take that? You, you would take that, that this pizza is mine, and I, I may, may or may not share with you. But if I set a pizza at your table, and I said, this pizza is from me, how are you going to take that? Right? You're going to receive it as a gift that I'm buying you lunch. That's important, the difference between of and from. So in the New Testament, it is God's intention to set right, to make right, as an action, as a gift from him to us. It's God's intention to set right what has gone wrong with his creation. To make his people right with him. It's God doing something for us. Remember, you're sitting here with me and we're just pondering this idea of what it means to be right with God. And the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of the web telescope that's looking out at all of these stars is saying, I'm doing something to make you right with me. Does that just blow you away? It does me, and I, I'm just up here maybe just talking to God. But I, I think it does. I think it blows all of us away. The theological word for this, God doing something with his righteousness, is to impute righteousness. And that simply means 
It's a free gift from God to us. God's doing something with his righteousness. He's giving it to us. It's a saving activity. So the bottom line in the New Testament, when we think about righteousness, the bottom line in Romans, when we talk about righteousness, is we're given righteousness by God. We are made right, perfectly right. It's not, it's not the basketball court where it's like, are we good, bro, to God? Not at all. It's not something lacking. It's not something questionable. It's not something with lingering pain or sorrow or doubt. It is perfect, and it's good, and it's done. That's God's desire for all of us as human beings to be right with him. When you think about it, it makes it perfectly clear that it's true. God loves you. God loves us. Why, why else would he do this than if we don't have this loving relationship from a father to us? Right? And it becomes perfectly clear why Jesus needs to be perfectly right. Jesus needs to not sin. Jesus needs to live life on this planet free of sin. It's because Jesus earns our righteousness in our place. God has a plan here, right? This rightness is perfect because Jesus gives us his righteousness. I love that so much. Because if you're like me, I sometimes think, I, I, I don't deserve this. Like, like I'm, not, I'm not living up to this. I, I'm not worthy. Like, like I, I, I can't keep doing good. Like, sometimes I just crash and burn and fall on my face and do stupid stuff. But it's not about me. It's about God's gift in Jesus to me, and Jesus is perfectly righteous. Here's the basic idea of what takes place. Perfect righteousness separates us from God because God is holy. The standard is perfection. It separates us from God, but perfect righteousness also makes us right with God. Isn't that amazing? Because only Jesus' perfect life can make us righteous. So the perfect righteousness of Jesus saves us, rescues us, and makes us right. So here's the question, right? Like, that's all great. You're, you're like, okay, en enough of your, you know, your meditations and thoughts. We get it. And I know you do. You're smart people, okay? It, this is profound stuff. Here's the question. The greatest personal morality question for you to answer is how do I receive this righteousness of God? What do I do? What, how, how do I get that sort of righteousness? And, and you know, because I know your church, it's by faith. By faith. Faith alone. Right? That's, that's how you receive a righteousness that in each of our lives, this is the good stuff, guys, there's no guilt. Like sometimes we feel guilty. But the righteousness of God, us being right with God because of Jesus, you're not guilty. There's no guilt. There's no shame. 
There's nothing we need to work for. There's no failure involved. Do you guys get, get bummed like I do when like we fail at something? I hate it. I don't like failing at things. And if it was up to me, being perfectly righteous, I'd fail. But it's not here because it's about Jesus. It's about righteousness, and we receive that by faith. And that's where we go at the end of verse 17. The righteous shall live by faith. I want to fully understand this faith by understanding what it's not. Like, like what it's not to achieve righteousness on our own. The opposite of faith. Like, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to achieve the righteousness. It's not by my own goodness. I don't have to do that. It's not by my own works. It's not how many times I, um, I do something for the church or I give online. It's not by that. It's not by my own works. It's not about patriotism or church attendance or, or, or some sort of obedience in, in some way. It's not about having good social graces. It's not about dressing a certain way. It's not about talking a certain way that we can be recognized as Christians. We'll never achieve righteousness this way. Like, that's what it's not about. And guess what? We're human beings, and we do weird things. <laughs> Is that right? So all the time, people try to achieve righteousness by those things, even though it sounds ridiculous to us, right? The idea is if I dress a certain way, right, and I'm modest or something like that, that's going to achieve my righteousness. When you really step back and think about that, it's like, I, I think that's a little bit flawed. <laughs> like, that's not quite right. It's, it's not where it's at. I'm never, ever going to achieve righteousness that way. The only way is by faith. That's the only way. James Montgomery Voice says this, Faith is opening a hand to receive the righteousness of Christ that God offers us. That's not works, right? It's opening a hand. It's receiving a gift. I, I had a birthday recently, and I got a few gifts, which is, which is awesome. I love it. Wouldn't it be weird... If, if I got a gift and say, man, I've been working for this gift for a long time, <laughs> wouldn't that be dumb? Like, everybody around the birthday table would have their cake like, what? <laughs> like, that's not the way it works. You receive a gift, and you say thank you, right? That's what faith is from God, and that's the way it always has been in the Bible. And it leads to the context of the righteousness shall live by faith. It's a quote from, from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 in the Old Testament. It's consistent with the whole Old Testament. That being right with God is by faith. By receiving a gift of what God has done. The emphasis throughout the Bible is the person of God, the believer, receiving this gift. Of righteousness. So just to review, right? In the Bible, God works. God does stuff, right? We know that. God is a God of action. Secondly, God's people respond in faith. That's how it works. God does stuff. God's people respond in faith. And the last is we're right with God. That's it. We're right with God. A perfect righteousness with no, none, lingering 
pain, sorrow, doubt, question marks. We're simply right with God. So just to to finish here, and then I'll, I'll be done. We're right with God because of God. Isn't that great? It has nothing to do with us. We're right with God because of God. We're right with God because Jesus died, was buried, and raised again. Jesus died for us in a way that he paid for our sins. I'm assuming we're going to take communion. (laughs) Jesus lived for us, right? He lives a life where he gives us his righteousness. That's it. That's why we're right with God. It's deeply theological. It's deeply personal. We can be right with God. So I share with you this to say we need to reflect on these things because it helps us live life. It helps us understand God. It helps us rest and trust in the truths of God knowing that the holy God of the universe is said, I love you enough that I want to be right with you and I want you to be right with me. And we are. Let's pray.